continue our reflection from St. Paul's letter to the to Romans. If you remember yesterday's first reading, which you may, some of you may, some of you might, St. Paul spoke of something which was very dear to him. He says the following. He says, um, there's a great sorrow and constant anguish in my heart on account of the people chosen by God who did not accept Jesus. Many at that time did not accept him. Many did not, many did not consider him to be the Messiah. And for St. Paul, he says, it was a great sorrow and pain that his own people did not receive him, not welcome him. And he says, you know, we received so many privileges given to us by God, great privileges of being adopted sons, children of God, receiving the glory, the covenants, remember the Sinai covenant, not only a, a, a covenant of Abraham, but also of Moses, of receiving the law, the commandments, the worship, the promises, the patriarchs. And, and then he says, and not only that, but also the promise of the Son of God, who's to come from from the lineage of, of the, um, the lineage of David, as we know, the Christ who is overall. And then he poses a question. When we did not accept Jesus, does it mean that God rejected us, rejected the people of the covenant? And then he responds today very clearly when he says, has God rejected us? He says, of course not. Did he reject his people? For I too am a child of Israel, a descendant of Abraham, the, child, the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. And, and then he continues with the reflection, then why? Why the people of God did not accept? And he says, it's very, it's very interesting. He says that through their transgression, Salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make them jealous. Now, St. Paul continues and says, well, if their transgression is enrichment for the world because all of us became Jesus' followers, so if, the, if their, their transgression, their rejection is enrichment for the world, and if their diminished number is enrichment to the Gentiles, how much more? their full number. And so now he sees already in the future, there'll be a time not only will the Gentiles, all of us were invited to share in the glory of God, to share in the covenant of the, especially the new covenant which Jesus established with us uh, through his blood, through his suffering and death. He says, he says if, 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 if their transgression uh, provided for us such an incredible grace, he says, how much more at the end of time when the, the, the Israel will no longer have the hardened heart but accept Christianity. I, I have to say that there's, a, uh, uh, there's a, an app, uh, 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 what do you call, website, which says One for Israel, which is the, um, it's a website of many, many Jews, Messianic Jews that accepted Jesus. And he says there, there's a greater and greater number of those who, who are Jewish, who are embracing Jesus as the Messiah. There's more and more, and he says there's countless, because he says those who follow, and, and a, number, a number of the speakers who are part of that movement, 
say that there's a greater, greater awareness. As many would say, well, we didn't know that Jesus was Jewish. You know, sometimes we don't think about that. You know, we feel like Jesus is the Gentile, not, not, not Jew. And, and yet he was. And his Blessed Mother as well. You know, we all know that. And it was the invitation to the Jewish people. And yet St. Paul realizes that the transgression of his own people was not ultimately to the detriment because God's call, as he says, is irrevocable. His promise given to Abraham, to Moses, to the, to the prophets, that call is irrevocable, which means they'll be saved on account of their faith in the covenants. If they follow the covenant, which is basically 10 commandments, the code of holiness, same thing for us too. So it's not that you know God has all of a sudden rejected them because they didn't accept Jesus. And yet we know that the pain and suffering of St. Paul was real. He says, yesterday he says to the point that he would wish to even give his own life for his own people, just like Jesus did. You know, so that's why we look at ourselves and we look at our own families too. Many seem to have kind of rejected the Lord or at least do not practice their faith or at least they have no conviction or have been so disillusioned by so many things. And yet we know that our prayer will bring them to, to the faith to, their, to that, that belief and love for, for God. We know that it is true because God promises that when two or three gather in his name and pray for attention, God will grant. So that means we have received this promise from the Lord that you know, the families, the grandmothers and grandfathers and you know, parents who, who wear out the rosaries you know, by praying so often that, that, that God will grant the grace. Sometimes it takes 20 or 30 years of prayer to make your children saints, because that's usually a, a type of paradigm inviting, investing in prayer, but that it takes place. This is, and that's why St. Paul, although pained by it, but he was consoled by the fact is that God will not deny anyone the grace of faith. Now God will not deny, and even his own people will one day share the joys of knowing, embracing Jesus. This is what, what St. Paul says. And he was completely convinced that that's the case because God would not deny that grace to anyone. He's inviting all the peoples of this world to his own fold. And, and here it is that, that uh, we have to always remember that, you know, God, for God there are no boundaries. For God there are no no uh, nations which are, you know, non-believers or this or that. For God, every one of us, everyone, every human person is destined for glory. Everyone is invited to share. And this is why our mission is so great. We have to proclaim like St. Paul to everyone, you know, reminding and teaching and guiding that God's gifts and God's grace of mercy is irrevocable. It cannot be called back. God gave us his son so that we may receive that fullness of life. And in the gospel today, we see the Lord's teaching us about humility. Humility, you know, the parable that he gave us is such a common sense parable. You know, it's, it's hard to believe. You know, today we don't, don't, we, we don't have this problem because we put names for everybody. You know, the, you know, if you're arranging a wedding feast, you make sure that every name is at every table written so that 
there's not going to be a problem, you know. But before, they didn't have those things. So some people consider themselves to be more important, so they'll be sitting right next to the, you know, to the, to the uh, you know, bride or groom. But perhaps they should not have been there. But anyway, but God is teaching us a little bit more than just the banquet arrangements around the tables. He's teaching us something even greater. The greater aspect is humility. What do we have on our own? We received the gift of life from our parents. We didn't create ourselves. We received life from, from, from our parents through God's power. Every life on earth is a God's gift. We did not receive the faith in which we believe on our own. Somebody else handed on to us. We did not receive the grace of mercy by just kind of creating environment for ourselves. No, it's God has given us the forgiveness of sins. God is giving us all these blessings. And then this is when the Lord says to us the importance of humility, the importance of humility, accepting that which seems to be beyond us, you know, something that God is granting to us. Humility, we know, is a virtue. It goes beyond mere modesty or self-effacement. It encompasses a profound recognition of our relationship with God and the proper understanding of ourselves in light of his call, in light of his greatness, in light of also calling all of us to him. We know that the, at the core of Christian humility is, is that we recognize that God is truly our creator and redeemer. He's the one who is the means by which we are able to be drawn to the Father. There's no other way but through our Lord Jesus. Look at, we see, see the Son of God even, Jesus, the Son of God, especially in the Philippians, in a letter to the to Philippians, he says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature, by nature being God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped at, to be cling on to, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in a human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself even more, obedient, obedient to the Father to the point of death. He offered himself on our, our behalf. This is a type of obedience. This is the type of humility. The Lord Jesus embraced that humility, so he became servant to us. We who are creatures, and yet God becomes servant to us. That's this just does not make sense. You know, we, you know, we feel that those who are, you know, up should be the ones that we, that we are supposed to help, assist, or, or serve. And so, humility is not a sort of passive or weak disposition. Sometimes, you know, people say you're going to be a doormat. Obviously, it's true. But, but for Christianity, humility is acceptance of ourselves in the total truth. We have abilities, we recognize them. Those abilities are to be at the, at the, at the service of others. If we have received special type of gifts, then they are not just for us to, you know, to, to use, use just for our own aggrandizement or, or our own benefits, but it's to, to be the gifts for others. And this is where the Christian humility is to imitate Jesus the way he was. 
he had the power, he received the power of the Father's love. He was the Son of God, and he manifested this power always on behalf of the needy, of the broken, the sin. Remember the healings. Remember the uh, being dispel, uh, expelling demons, uh, encouraging, protecting, guiding, and ultimately giving us the gift of freedom. That's the, that's the type of humility the Lord is asking us. So Christian humility is, is actually rooted in our understanding of self in that, from that true perspective, who we are. And also in relationship to each other, we are to be brothers and sisters. We are to be, you know, uh, to help one another along the way. Because the other, otherwise, otherwise we sort of miss, miss the point. Humility has that gift of service. To love is to serve. To love, to be humble, is to embrace the truth of who you are and being at the service of another. Today we recognize someone who was uh, an interesting person. He was born in a castle at the shores of Lake Maggiore in northern Italy to a very rich and powerful family called the, the, the Medici family. And so this young man, this Charles Borromeo, um, went to the university already at the age of 16, got his doctorate in law, canon law and civil law by the age of 21, a brilliant mind. And, um, and his uncle, who became Pope, uh, Pope, uh, Paul the fourth, his uncle became, and the first thing that he did, he saw this young man who was kind of brilliant, and he brought him right into his administration, and he assigned him quite a few things to do uh, right away. But because he wanted to give him some authority, he made him a cardinal. He became a cardinal without being ordained a priest yet. So, so he, was, he was an administrator, so he, was, so he was given the responsibility to be an administrator of Milan diocese that didn't have a bishop for 80 years. So there's a lot of, lot of problems, but he didn't want him to go to Milan, he wanted him to stay in Rome. So he was kind of delegating his authority. And then this young person became very much uh, involved with the Council of Trent. As you know, the Council of Trent in response to a reformation, began to deliberate in, in 1552, but it stopped for various reasons, and then it resumed in, in 1562. And, and Barame was instrumental in preparing many of the documents. He was instrumental in doing things for Pope, uh, Pope uh, Paul, uh, Pope, uh, Paul IV. And you know, and what happened is this: is not only was he instrumental, but what what happened is that his family was pushing him to be married, to establish family, to become uh, you know someone of great importance, because he was the second child born by his older brother, who was kind of responsible for the family. He died, and so the family was really pushing him to become you know this patriarch of the family with the brilliant mind and all the works administration. Administration that he was, he was conducting, and so so what happened is though, because of this huge pressure, he secretly became ordained a priest. 
he says to, to stop the, the push, to stop the pressure on him. So he becomes a priest, and then quickly he does become a bishop, and after the Council of Trent, he was responsible to draft the catechism of the Catholic Church. So he was, so he was, he was not only just brilliant for the sake of the administration, but the content, the content of our faith. And then from that moment on, when he became a bishop, he went back, his uncle died, uh, Pope uh, Paul V took over, but before Pope, Pope V took over, this young man was running the Council of Trent for a while, one, one of the sessions. You see how God works when he gave himself, or was ordained, and gave himself to God, then God somehow just, just gave him great responsibilities. And you know, and then after the new pope came and he released him from his duty, he sent him to, to the Milan, which was really neglected. Uh, this is when, when his life became a constant turmoil and suffering because he wanted to renew the church, educational system, seminaries, you know, the, some of the older priest canons who were just kind of refused to be reformed the religious who kind of refused to be reformed as well. His, his aunts who were in the religious community, they were upset with him because he said he tightened up the rules. You know, he put some of the, uh, some of the in, in some of the religious communities, he put grills, you know, because they were contemplative, you know, to be separated from the, from the world. And, and so then he, um, there was a plague, something like we had a couple years ago, and, and then he wrote his last will and testament because he began to serve those who were the most afflicted, those who were dying. They created these hospitals and he became a servant for them. He, you know, he, he, didn't, he didn't catch that, that, that plague that was going on, this, you know, the, the, uh, the, whatever it is, the type of COVID of their time. And then, and then uh, he had to travel quite a bit not only was he responsible for prison diocese, but also for several cantons in Switzerland. So it required a lot of work for him. The reason I mention is that he allowed himself to be used completely. He wanted to be like Christ. Though he was in the form of God, Jesus did not deem equality something to regress, but rather he became a slave for all. And here this, this young man born in a castle he had everything going for him. You know, he could have had any position, you know, in government, whatever you wish, in a church, and he chose to be a servant, absolute servant, and he carried the cross, died at the age of 46. It was the, 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 uh, the, the workload was so heavy on him, and his desire to renew the church was so important that he sacrificed himself on behalf of of the people of God, so that they may come, become holy, that they may become men and women of God, destined for glory, which all of us are. So let us then today, as we continue with the sacred liturgy, what do we have before us? One is St. Paul says that God's call to us is irrevocable. He has chosen us to be his sons and daughters. Yes, we have freedom, but his, on his part, he will never abandon us. He'll always call us back to himself until we are with him, because this is his gift. Jesus says to us in the gospel, 
it is more important for us to acknowledge who we are, and that humility, the truth of who we are, but ultimately to recognize that the path of holiness and greatness, true greatness, is to become servants, to assist those who are in need, but especially those who are in need of transformation, of grace, redemption, because everything here on earth ultimately will mean nothing unless we are united with God in, in, in his future glory. And this is what the Lord gives us through these guidelines, through readings, but especially through this Eucharist, the celebration of the Eucharist. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for us. He is the one who gave his life for us. And we who participate in his Eucharist, as we welcome him, as we receive him, we are to be Christ's for others, that we may be able to serve like he has until one day we share the banquet of glory. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit divinemercyplus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's divinemercyplus.org. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.